We are New Life Community Church in Rogers Park, a community church in the city of Chicago, all over the city for the good of the city. Right now, we are in the midst of our series, Different Jesus, a series that looks at the things we take for granted about Jesus and shows us a different picture. Wherever you're listening, I hope you are blessed by this message. So, how many of you have heard of the Nobel Prize? I asked David this morning, he's like, isn't that the prize they give out? And I'm like, yes, but... There's, how many of you know what he did to make so much money? This guy made so much money in the 1800s that he's able to give out millions of dollars every year for the last 130 years. 121 years, maybe. Uh, Anybody know? I know there's like some smart person right now that's like, I know, I know, tell me, tell me. No, so... Alfred Nobel is very famous. He was a genius inventor who invented dynamite. Did you know that? Like nitroglycerin. He, I don't think he invented nitroglycerin, but he invented how to put nitroglycerin into a tube that was controllable. Before that, it was very dangerous. It would kill so many people by accident. And he managed, you know, those sticks like in the cartoons, right? Like TNT. This guy invented that. Originally, he invented it so that the mining companies could drill holes in the ground, um, blast through mountains. But of course, what do humans do? We started using it for war. So because of his invention, it ended up killing millions of people because of dynamite. And still, obviously, we're dealing with that. Good things, bad things. Every invention has those, right? But he had made such a fortune on this money. He had become so obscenely rich. He didn't even know what to do with all his money. And he was living the high life. He was riding high when something dramatic happened. Something that changed his life forever. His brother died. Okay, but not like just anything where if one of us, our family members died, obviously it messes us up. We deal with the the loss, the grief. But there was a problem. All of the newspapers thought that he had died. True story. Story. So they published obituaries, front page newspaper, said the, the merchant of death is dead, right? Like basically the son of Satan has died. Like they said all these horrible things, except he was still alive and he's reading these in the newspapers, right? So he had this intense moment of wake up where he realized his legacy is going to be forever cemented as this horrible person. So instead, he decided to turn it around. And he invested all his money into an endowment that would literally build up all the money that is still giving out the Nobel Prizes. So, like I said, if I were to ask you, what is Nobel to you? You would have said, oh, that's the Peace Prize, right? So amazingly, this man, because of a mistaken identity, managed to change his legacy forever, right? This morning, you're joining us online. We're originally planning to be in person, but you know this weather is crazy in Chicago. I'm hoping that next week we'll be able to be in person as well. And if you're joining online in a home group, thank you for joining there. If you're streaming from your couch, from your bed, uh, wherever you're at, 
I'm glad you're there. And I know some of you are probably upset. You're like, man, I would have still met outside today and I would have wore my shorts. Okay, maybe David Wenzel would have been that person. We don't know, but we're glad that you're here today. Um, today we're continuing our series, Different Jesus. Different Jesus. How many of you have been blessed so far by these series? Woo! How many of you are so mad at me because of these series? Woo! Yes. Go ahead and let me know in the comments. I want to hear it. I want to hear it all. You can't hurt my feelings. This is the first time you're here. Let me know that I'm glad you're here too. You're, fi- you're, you're catching us in the middle of a series where we're continuing to look at this Jesus that you thought you knew. The Jesus that you thought you knew in this book. Okay? But then when you look in this book, you start to see a whole different Jesus. See how I did that? Huh? Ooh, whole different Jesus, right? My name is Galen. I'm a pastor here at New Life Community Church. I'm excited to be able to talk to you this morning, and we're able to live and stream it. Here's the thing. All of us, I mean all of us, have some sort of image in our heads when we think of who Jesus is, what he looks like. Don't worry. All of us do it. Every culture actually does this. Again and again and again, you see, as people, we have a tendency to make Jesus into our image versus us being made into his image. Anyone know what I'm talking about? Well, you don't have to look too much further than our artwork to see how this is depicted. If you've been following the last couple weeks, you've seen some awesome images. I got some more for you today. Check out this awesome African Jesus, right? And this next one here, we have hipster Jesus. I wasn't able to show this very well last week, so I wanted to show it again. I just think this is so great. Uh, Keep going. We have (laughs) 70s uh, Jesus, right? (laughs) And Star Wars Jesus, if that's your thing, right? Um, And of course, ripped Jesus. If you're working out this morning at Planet Fitness while watching the sermon, this might be the Jesus you think of. And finally, this is what scholars actually think Jesus looked like. And what strikes you the most? Like, I bet when you first see this, you're like, no, that's not what Jesus looked like. Scholars have thought and looked and seen what would a Jewish man look like from 2,000 years ago. During that time, they studied like face structures, they studied all these things, and this is most likely what Jesus would have looked like. I think what strikes me the most is how ordinary it looks, Right? We make a picture of Jesus in our own image, or at least we make it this glorious, beautiful thing. Uh, And don't get me wrong, this man is glorious, but not in the way that we make him to be, right? Some of those were hilarious, but we have to realize that this goes far deeper than the artwork we have of Jesus, right? We actually do this with what Jesus taught The stories that we emphasize, the ones we focus on, the things that fit neatly into our culture, right, shape this Jesus. And the things in this book that doesn't make sense to us, that push our buttons, make us feel uncomfortable, we tend to downplay them or we justify them, right, or we just don't talk about them. Right? We minimize them or we change them, and that's why a different Jesus. We want to try and put back some of the things we've been missing. We want to change some of the things we've added. We want to look past our biases this morning. I don't know if that's how you say that word. Biases? Biases? Someone can correct me somehow. Just tell me later. So we want to see the Jesus that is beyond 
what we've become comfortable with. We want to see the Jesus that is beyond what we've been taught to be comfortable with or what we've boxed in ourselves. And we've said, you know, I feel more comfortable with this Jesus than with, with, with this one, right? We've all got these biases and all of us, you're sitting here listening to this and you're thinking, not me, yeah, it's you. Don't worry, okay? It's the person who's listening to church services and sermons for 40 years. They've read their Bible every day. It's you. It's the person who's tuning in for the first time from Planet Fitness and was like, whoa, rip Jesus, right? And it's also me, your pastor. I also have those things, right? And my prayer is that by God's grace, we can see past these things and we can see a different Jesus today. And this morning, we're going to look away that Jesus, Jesus has had a case of mistaken identity, okay? Just like Nobel, who was mistaken for his brother, we have the same problem with Jesus. Happened 2,000 years ago on this day. It has happened every year since, and it's still happening now. We have mistaken Jesus for someone else. So follow with me. Follow me. Look with me at Luke chapter 19, verse 35. All right. And if you like have no idea, if you have a printed Bible, you have no idea how to find that, you can look at the beginning. It'll tell you where Luke is and then go to the big number 19 or Google it on your phone. Okay. You can go on the printed Bible. You can go on the digital Bible. And if you got no Bible, let me know and I'll send you a link for our app. Okay. So the section of the Bible is one of the more well-known stories from the Bible because certain traditions celebrate it every year. I love Christine brought that up. Um, Brennan was talking about it. All of us who have been around the church a little while have heard the term Palm Sunday. And if you're part of an awesome tradition where you go in and you get that little plant and you come out feeling super religious, right? Then, sorry, we don't have them for you today. But that is probably your only kind of reference with Palm Sunday. And you maybe know little, little more than that, right? Um, this is a story we're going to look at today. And it all starts with a donkey. It all starts with a donkey, okay? You see, Jesus and his followers, they were on their way to Jerusalem. They were going to celebrate the Passover. Okay, that's that Jew, this Jewish um, uh, festival where they celebrate where God rescued them from slavery. The whole ten plagues on Egypt, all that stuff. They celebrate every year that God rescued them with the Passover. So they're on their way there. And as they're on their way to Jerusalem, Jesus told some of his disciples, Yo, I want you to go into this next town. You're going to find a donkey, grab it, and bring it back. Okay, and I'm sure some of the disciples are like, uh, Jesus, you want us to go and steal a donkey? And he's like, no, 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 no. Silly disciples. I want you to go, and when the person asks you, you just say, the Lord needs it. Okay, now I don't want any of you to try this at home, okay? I know that seems like you can go and take something like, yo, Ignace, I need your car, bro. <laughs> the Lord needs it. Don't. Don't worry about it, okay? All right? It's for the Lord. <laughs> no, but Jesus can do this. So the disciples, they go into the village. They get the donkey. The guy asks them why they're taking his donkey, and they respond with, the Lord needs it. Don't worry about it. Okay, and for some reason, the guy's like, oh, okay. I feel like it's like a Star Wars, like, 
force move or something like, you know, or he's like, you don't need this donkey. He's like, I don't need this donkey. Okay. That's probably not what happened, but for some reason, the guy was totally okay with it. They took the donkey. They bring the donkey to Jesus and look with me what happens in verse 35. Verse 35. They brought it to Jesus and they threw their cloaks on the colt. Okay. That's another word for donkey. If you're reading from the King James this ver- version this morning, you have a whole different word there, right? Uh, and if there's any kids reading it, then you're laughing your head off. An old word for a donkey. Don't worry about it. So it says that they put him on the colt, and then they put Jesus on it. And as he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. So get this. Jesus gets this donkey, starts riding it to Jerusalem, And then as he's riding along, it says that people were starting to line up the streets. He's riding this donkey and they're lining up the streets and they start taking off their outer coats and they're laying them on the ground so he can ride over them. It's pretty strange to us, right? It would be like the mayor, Lightfoot, riding her bike down the street and we're all just like taking off our sweatshirts and throwing them down so she can ride over them, okay? All of us got a bike track through the middle of our back, right? As we're wearing our sweatshirts later. I mean, I'm sure half of Jerusalem was walking around the rest of that day with a donkey print on the back of their their backs, okay? Everyone knew who was there. This is where we get Palm Sunday from, by the way. This passage doesn't say, another part of the passage say they would cut down palm branches and lay them down along with their coats, so that they could walk around. I guess we didn't want to call it like sweatshirt Sunday or outer garment Sunday, but instead we went with Palm Sunday, okay? So that's why we got Palm Sunday. And then look what happens, verse 37. It says, When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles that they had seen. And this is what they, had, they would say. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. So not only are they stripping down, throwing their, their, their cloaks out on, their, and on the ground for Jesus, not only are they cutting down these branches, but they all start singing. And by now, there's crowds of people. Everyone's throwing stuff on the ground for Jesus to ride across. And they all start singing. And they're not just any songs. These are songs that they've sung since they were kids. They're songs taken straight from the book, uh, from, from, from this book in the Psalms. Okay, the book of Psalms. It's just like the song book of the Bible. Songs that had deep meaning to these people. Songs that proclaimed that a king was here. A king was here. And because of all this, everybody started to lose their minds. Somebody say, losing their minds. (laughs) The Roman rulers were terrified that some sort of revolt was happening. The religious, Jewish religious leaders were extremely jealous. And it says they were looking for a way to kill him, right? And all the people, they were so excited because this was their long-awaited king. And this is the moment that we celebrate every year as Palm Sunday. This moment in time, this occasion, the coming of the king. Come on, everyone say, the king. The king. king. But the problem is that today, just like then, everyone had the wrong idea 
of who this king was. They had a mistaken identity of the king. You see, the Roman people, they saw the king as a threat to their rule. The Jewish religious leaders saw the king as a false heretic that was seducing the people away from their leadership. And the people saw this king as the one who would set them free from tyranny. You see, the Jewish people had at one time been one of the most powerful nations on the earth. They had been blessed by God. They had everything, wealth, power, military might. But then they walked away from God. And this book, the first half of this book, is just tells that whole story. They walked away from God. They decided they didn't need God. So they were taken captive by other nations. Other nations came in. They dragged them away. They killed them. They made them slaves, captives. Their cities were torn down, burned. They were separated and destroyed. But the Jewish people still believed that one day a king would come and set them all free. They saw in the scriptures prophetic words that pointed towards a coming king that God would send. And they believed that when this king came, he would set them all free. Free them from the oppression of these foreigners. Get them back to the glory days where they would be on top again. Where they would be the big nation, the top dog. They would be the nation they once were. The only problem was they were still the same broken people. Still the same broken people who didn't follow God. Nothing had changed since God first came and rescued them. This Passover that they're celebrating when God rescues them from Egypt. Nothing had changed from those people till now. They were still the same broken, messed up people who wanted nothing to do with who God was. You see, they wanted a king who would restore them, who would give them back all the glory, they would give, that would give them back what they wanted. But was this that king? Was this what that king would do? Is this the king that would set them free, would give them back all their political power? There's a reason that all this happened, and then a week later, Jesus was nailed to some wood and left to die. The people had an expectation of this king, which was not who he actually was. They had a mistaken identity of Jesus. So I want to look at three ways that Jesus had this case of mistaken identity. I want you to remember that this has everything to do with today. Just as much as 2,000 years ago has everything to do with today. Three ways that people thought Jesus was going to be something, but it was completely different than what they thought. It was a different Jesus. Ooh, I keep pulling it in there, right? Number one, Jesus came to bring peace. Just not the way they thought he should. Here's the thing that was going on with that donkey. Not only was it prophesied that the king would come riding in on a donkey. So if you look back in Zechariah, that's where the people were starting to see like, Oh man, Jesus is coming in on a donkey. Just like the prophecies say. But this was also something that would happen whenever a conquering king would enter a new place. If you were a conquered nation, the king would come in riding on a war horse, which meant that he was bringing war, or he would ride in on a donkey, 
Jesus wasn't the first to ride in on a donkey. If, you, if a king rode in on a donkey, it meant that he was coming with peace. With peace. This was not lost on the people watching. They knew not only the prophecies, but they were very familiar with the way that kings had conquered them over the centuries. And they knew that Jesus was bringing peace into their city. That's why he was riding this donkey. They had been sitting at the bottom of the totem pole. They were the ones that were overtaxed and overburdened. They were the ones who were oppressed by this ruling party that had taken away all their rights and left them with nothing. And they saw Jesus as the peace that they had been hoping for. They saw Jesus as the king who would free them from these oppressors, who would give them their freedom back, that they would have rights once again. And isn't that how we think of Jesus? Isn't that how we see Jesus? We think of Jesus as the king who will bring peace. But we think of it by Jesus putting us in positions of power once again. We as a church have been seduced by power. All you have to do is look back through the history of our church, from the way the church played a role in shaping countries throughout the last 2,000 years, the way the church started wars, holy wars, that claimed that Jesus wanted this to happen, and even now in the way that the church has felt that it's our God-given role to be in positions of power, whether political or at least places of influence. We feel that that is what it means to have Jesus as king. Put us back to the top, Jesus. To bring peace, to bring holiness, it's all for you, but bring us to the top. That's the only way for peace. But that wasn't what Jesus was bringing. He wasn't bringing peace by setting one people group free. He wasn't bringing peace by giving power to one people group so there could be a new tyrant. He wasn't bringing peace by, by, by causing the, the losers to become the winners. He was bringing peace by reconnecting people with God. Seem too simple? <laughs> yeah, that's because we don't want that. We want the power. We want the power. He was, we, don't, we don't want necessarily, we want to be reconnected with God, but that means being on top then, right? Because God's the most powerful. Like, put us on the top, God. That's the peace we want. But not this, this Jesus who is bringing peace by transforming the oppressed and the oppressors. The Jewish people saw this as a peace that would happen in a moment in time. They would have peace in Jerusalem as the Jewish people. But look at verse 41 with me. Verse 41 says, As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you... Even you, he's looking at Jerusalem, the Jewish people, even you, Jerusalem, had only known on this day what would bring you peace. But now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. They believed that Jesus as king would bring their kingdom peace, but they missed it. And what Jesus predicted did happen. You can look it up 30 years later, about 60 AD, Jerusalem was completely destroyed by the Romans. It took a couple years. They set up 
like all these things around them, around the city, and they slowly tore it down and wiped out everyone. If you look at the history books, it says that there were so many people got slaughtered and killed in the city that there was feet deep of blood running through the streets. They killed every single person in that city. You see, Jesus didn't come to bring peace to a certain kingdom. And if it would have been any kingdom, it would have been the Jewish kingdom, right, of Israel. But he came to bring a peace that transcends borders, that causes people to actually love their enemies. Jesus came to bring peace so deep inside of you that it changes things from the bottom up. We want it the opposite way. We want to get in the positions of power to bring peace down. But Jesus did it the opposite way. He starts from the bottom up. And what would Jesus say to us today? I think he would say the thing, same thing. He would weep over us as the church. And he would say, if you, even you, had only known on this day, what would bring you peace? Do we ever think of Jesus as the king who will bring peace to our own kingdom? Is Jesus going to ride in and redeem our country, the great USA? Or maybe Mexico, Malawi, Nigeria, Syria, China, whatever it is, your kingdom, and you think like, Jesus, if only you were king here. What kind of king do you imagine riding in? The one on the war horse or the one on the donkey? Do you see Jesus as the one who will bring peace by putting us in power? Or is Jesus the one that brings peace by transforming us to love those in power? I know I'm touching some buttons for all of you because for too long we've seen Jesus as the bringer of peace by being the bringer of war. We engage in culture wars with the hope of actually bringing peace, but in reality, we've just been seduced by power. We have a mistaken identity of our king. This is not how Jesus works. What if the peace that Jesus is bringing is the kind where you start to serve the ones who are oppressing us? where we love them so deeply it changes the fabric of our society. We're not known any longer as the Christians who are the bigots, but we're the ones who love so extremely even as we're hated. We stop trying to blend in or take over the culture, but instead we start being the church. (laughs) Not being so terrified about losing our rights but instead willing to follow Jesus, even if it means losing our lives, our kids, our ideas of how things should be. You see, Jesus came to bring peace, but it was just not the way that everyone thought it was going to be. Second thing we have to see about Jesus' kingship, number two, Jesus came to save people, just not the way they thought he should. I think it was the hardest for us to see of Jesus. You see, not only did Jesus, did people see Jesus as the liberator of their kingdom, but they also saw him as the liberator of the individual. The one who was being broken and hurt by society, that was the person that Jesus was going to save. And how did they think would be the best way for Jesus to save these people? Probably by punishing the ones who had done all those horrible things those poor, innocent people, right? That's right, Jesus. Let's make everything right. Put the government back, show them how to do it. But this king then does something unexpected. This following Sunday, he goes to save everyone by dying for them. 
There's something so important that we miss. This king, this Jesus didn't come in with machine guns and wipe out all the Romans, right? He, he didn't come down with a whole lot of angels and kill all the bad guys by force and then make everyone else obey him. He could have. He totally could have. He could have done that from the first time that Adam and Eve rebelled. Nope. He goes and he dies in the place of the bad guys, which is everyone, by the way. <laughs> Not just the Romans. It's the Jewish people. It's the disciples who are following Jesus. It's not an us versus them. It's all of us versus Jesus. We are the bad guys. And Jesus went and died in the place of the Romans. He died in the place of the Jewish religious leaders, in the place of the people who had just spit on his face, and in the place of you and me. That was the king that no one understood. That was the king who came to save people, just not the way that they thought he should. Sometimes we get so confused about the role of Jesus in moving people. Do, do people have free will? Are we just robots controlled by God? Is God actually in control? Why doesn't he just stop all these evil things from happening? And that's the exact same questions that the followers of Jesus were asking about Jesus. Why doesn't he just destroy these people that are doing such evil things? That's the exact same questions that we ask of Jesus. How could you let this liberal government take control? Right? Or how could you let this conservative government take control? How could you let this evil people? I mean, I just hear like people just like it's the end of the world. Right? How could Jesus let this happen? Jesus, if you are the king, then do something. Right? That's not the Jesus that is here. The Romans continue to crush and destroy the church. All the apostles are murdered horribly. The church is crushed. People die. Their rights are stripped. Their property is taken by force. People are raped. Kids are sacrificed to animals. And this, this is not the Jesus that we expect. That's not the king. That's not how Jesus should save people. We've gotten so mixed up. Whatever side of the spectrum you sit on, we believe that saving people ultimately means rescuing them from oppression and punishing evil. But I'm sorry to tell you, you've got the wrong king. You've got the wrong king. Sure, if you look at Revelation, in the very end, that's going to happen. The king doesn't save people right now by force. I know this doesn't make sense to us. That's why throughout history we see the church trying to take military charge. Even now with the military charge, if you go back 60 years, it was against the communists and the church bought into that and we fought like crazy against that. Now it's against radical Islam. We don't understand it. How, how, how Jesus, if he's king, couldn't be this kind of a king. Just like the disciples didn't understand it. As Jesus was going to the cross, they said, I'm either going to fight or run, Jesus. That's the kind of king I see you as. There's no way I'm just going to sit and love people who are killing me. Peter took out a sword. He cut off the ear of one of the soldiers. He's about to go down with a fight. Peter's like, I'm, I'm going to die. Yeah, I'm willing to die with you, Jesus, but I'm going to die my way. I'm going to die by fighting. And that's how all of us think. And look at what Jesus says to Peter. Put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him. For all who draw the sword will die by the sword. I think the church should just reflect on this for the next like 400 years, okay? I think it might change us in a lot of ways. So what do the disciples do? They're like, okay, we're going to go with you, Jesus, to die. No, they run. They're like, I'm either going to die by fighting or I'm going to run. 
They couldn't get it, and either do we. We think the only way for Jesus to be king is for us to fight or run. But the most beautiful thing that happens is if you look at what happens to all these early church leaders, they were changed by Jesus. It's just beautiful if you look at these early church leaders, the people who were sitting there and saw this happen with their eyes. They didn't understand Jesus then, but after he went to that cross and after the Holy Spirit came into them, they saw a different king. They saw a different king. Every single one of these apostles and thousands and thousands more saw the real king. And then they lived that. They stopped trying to save people by force. They stopped trying to fight for their own rights. They too went to the cross. And it was only then that people were changed. It was through the dying to self, the sacrificing of everything on this world, that the very people who were killing them threw down their weapons and were saved. It doesn't make sense, but if we're to follow as disciples of Jesus, that is what truly changes the world. Brothers and sisters, we have to see this different king now. Now more than ever, our culture is tearing us apart, claiming that the only way for us to win is fighting at all costs, claiming that we need power as the church, that we can't give up our rights, and we're following the wrong king. It's not Jesus. It's not Jesus. Last thing you have to see, number three. Jesus came to be the king, just not the way they thought he should. Jesus is actually a king. It's completely different than we can even imagine, but he is a king. He's in charge. There's no one higher than him. But by his grace, he allows us to live freely under him, to make a choice. To try to do things our way. To follow him or not. To lay down our rights or pick them up. He invites everyone into this walk of life. I think of, there's a parable that Jesus told about this wedding feast, this big banquet. And he invites everyone. The, the really religious people didn't come. The people that were expected, like his, he thought, like people thought they were the ones close to God and they didn't come to the actual banquet that God was throwing. So he goes out and he invites everyone on the streets, everyone. Some of the worst people, the people that would never expected to have a, a banquet with God were there. And the craziest part is at the end, there's one guy there who who doesn't have on the right clothes. And it's such a weird story. Like we all, we're all like so confused. So God, like none of the right people come, then he invites everyone, but then he throws someone out because they don't have on the right clothes. And it just reminds me of Matthew 7, verse 13 through 14. It says, Jesus said this, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it, but small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. You see, I think sometimes we like use this as like a battle verse or something. Where it's like, narrow is the way. Okay, and so we like create like some sort of like gateway in our minds. And we're going through it for sure, obviously. But then we, we can cut out everyone else. And I think actually this is a little bit different. It's not meant to say like we're excluding people. But instead for us to realize there's only one way. There's only one way. We'd like to make it think about everyone else, but it's actually about you. Jesus invites everyone. That doesn't mean that everyone is going to get in, because there's only one way. Following Jesus looks very specific. 
And it looks a lot different than what you've thought. It looks a lot different than what we would choose. There's a very specific way to follow Jesus, and that is the way of the King. That is the way of the King, and that's what nobody could understand on this Palm Sunday. Everyone had a mistaken identity of who Jesus is, and I believe so strongly that so many of us do too. We think of Jesus as some other type of king. And we've missed this. We've missed this. The type of Jesus that is calling us to a dying of ourselves, to our loving of our enemies, of a laying down of our swords and our rights and following this king in a totally different way. So this morning I want to ask each of you, what king are you following? Are you following the one who will give you some political power? Are you the, following the one who gives you all the things that you want? Are you following the one that's easy? That means you're not going to have to lose anything. That means you won't have to go without a meal. That means your kids will get the best schools. That means that, uh, that you, your, your, your rights, your property, your stuff will always be protected. Is it the Jesus that means you live to an old age and that's where you die? Or is it the one who dies on that cross a week later and no one understands? We're going to talk more about that next week on Easter Sunday. Uh, just like 2,000 years ago, we do have a mistaken identity of Jesus, but I believe that God wants us to find the true king this year, this week. It's not an accident that you're here. I believe that as we're moving toward Easter, I would not be a good pastor if I didn't point us towards the real king. So if you want to talk with a pastor about that this morning, we would love to. Uh, if you want to make a comment on here, send a message to our page, text back the church text line. Anyway, we would love to get in touch with you. Let me just pray for you right now. And then we're going to have one last song. Brandon is going to lead us and he's going to do communion then. So if you're at home or in a home group and you want to get a cracker and some juice just to be ready for communion, now's the time. Let me just pray. Lord Jesus, you are the king. You are king over everything. God, forgive us for the ways that we've pressed our own image onto you. Where we've taken what we want and made it what you want. Help us, Jesus, to follow you to the cross. Help us, Jesus, to have your spirit flowing through us so that we can love our enemies. God, I just think of Richard Wormbrand, tortured for 30 years, coming out and saying, I forgive them. Only your Holy Spirit in that man could allow him to do that, God. May that be true of us, Jesus. Help us to love as you did, Jesus. God, help us to let go. It's so hard. We're so scared. We're so afraid. We've gotten wrapped up in so many things. God, help us to find our identity, our heart in you. 
Help us to love people that are so different than us, that are so far from us, because we know that you do, Jesus. May many people come to know you, the Jesus who loves them, who wants to rescue them, who wants to redeem them, restore them back to God in the way that we were supposed to live. God, may we believe so much in your power that we would trust you to do it from the bottom up versus trying to take things in our own hands, God. May we trust your way, Jesus. I pray for each person listening this morning, the one who's struggling so hard with these words, <laughs> who's probably, probably contemplating just how, <laughs> how, to, how to exit this church. God, I know this is some hard stuff, God. I just pray, God, your grace over that person. You would allow them to see your scriptures. You would allow a breakthrough, God, and may we as your church be so full of unity and grace, God. May we walk through some of these hard things. May we come out the other side whole, pure. May we be the church in Rogers Park that is bringing change because we love our neighbors so truly, because we love you so truly that we'll even go to these hard places, God. We will be changed from the ground up. Change us, God. Change us. I love you, Jesus. Just pray this in your name. You have been listening to New Life Community Church in Rogers Park. If you have been blessed by this message, please let us know. Now go and live a new life.